Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. Guess what? Katie Bowman is back. She's back. She's back. I'm back. I'm, back. I'm like, like lurk, lurking around just like a like a, a weird neighbor always peeking over the fence. I'm like, I'm coming back in. I'm so thrilled you're back. Partially just because my friends think you're so cool. So then that makes me seem cool because I get to talk to you two times. <laughs> but you know, we had such an awesome conversation last year about your book, Grow Wild. The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature Rich Guide to Moving More. This is such a cool book. Like, it's such a cool book to have on the shelf because of all the photos that you put in there. I know we talked about it last year, but can you tell us just a little bit about it? I mean, why it's such a great one for families? Well, so it's it's so different than my other books. Like, I write a lot of books that are nonfiction. They're about how your body works, how to troubleshoot issues that come up with you physically, mm-hmm. and how to think about the mechanical environment as an environment that's affecting your health, right? So like, that's yeah. my standard book. You know, kids are like, whatever, they don't care. So I wrote this book, Grow Wild. It's all photographs. It's really it's about beautiful. just getting more nature and more overall movement, for the children, but more, it was like more importantly to solve a problem as a parent. Like so many parents are like, yeah. how do we, you know, how, how do we, it's not so much like, how do we get our kids off tech and into nature? It's more like, how do we make the real world more interesting than what's happening in the online world? Which I think is something that we all struggle with grownups mm-hmm. and kids. Like if you have a device or technology that basically allows you to have whatever you want to see here in front of you all the time. Like, why would you put it down? Mm. And so I was like looking for really joyful ways that nourish us all. And it's the, it's the only book that my kids who are 10 and 11 and their friends, I always find them reading it. Like I find them like reading it in the morning or just pulling like the pictures just make me happy. Doing these things make me happy. And so, yeah, so that, that book has a special place in my heart. It's like, I always say it's like a reverse field guide. Mm-hmm. We're used to going out into a landscape and then opening your field guide to give context for what you're seeing. I think of it as a reverse field guide. You go through it so that you know what to go out to look for. It's something yeah. that pulls you out and hopefully inspires you and, and informs you and gives you ideas of a way to live what I call a more stacked, nutritiously yeah. dense life. Yeah. You have to combine it all because we don't have time to piecemeal it together. And you do such a great job of explaining. This book has so many things in it too. You talk through clothing. The other podcast that we did together about it was very fascinating and eye-opening. And I think too, it is a great book for kids because I think they're drawn to the real. They're drawn Mm -hmm. to the hands-on. They're drawn to the pictures of these kids that are like hanging from things in the home. That's cool. And so sometimes we write books like this and we think, oh, this is mainly for the parent. But then it is very enticing to to the child because I think innately they know like this is what my body wants to do and we're missing we're missing modeling you know we're missing modeling mm-hmm. like like if you are growing up in a culture that doesn't have a lot of nature time doesn't have a lot of movement time it doesn't occur to you that's something that you can even do so a mm-hmm. photograph of someone doing something gives a permission that even yeah. though it's not happening in their house and I, I wrote that in the introduction to the book of saying like someone had sent me a parkour book and my 
daughter who was like two or three at the time, she was like, I just saw her intently studying the cover. And then she like got on the kitchen table and she was like looking over at the windowsill (laughs) and she was like, you know, windowsill. (laughs) Yeah. And she did. And And I just, I've always like just watched her. And then she got down off the table and she walked over and like, she reached up to hold the windowsill. So she's like, okay, mm-hmm. if I'm on the ground, I can hold it here. And then I got back. And on the cover, there was a picture of like a woman hanging on something. You know, it was a young woman hanging on something. And I watched her do that for like a few minutes. And eventually she just got on the table and then she just let herself jump to the windowsill. Wow. And I was like, this moment was made wow. possible by modeling, you know, and we talk about it all the time. Make sure you watch what your kids are seeing and hearing because humans are informed about how to be by the media that they're exposed to. So I was like, what if we put this thing that we have intrinsic inside of us? Like, what if I leverage that, uh, you know, no pun intended by showing all of these amazing movements and all of these contexts and let the book go to work? Because, you wow. know, parents are busy. So, like, that's that's why it's such wow. a... Wow. Katie, and it really is. And there's so much variety in there. And the pictures are stunning. So, you know, here is a girl. She's hanging from a tree branch. And then there's another one where they're picking apples. And there's another one where I love this picture. I mean, it's just thing after thing. And this is like a teenager, right? And he's carrying his shoes. So, all of these different things. And I agree with you. I almost think that we have lost our community. So, we're not seeing a lot of modeling around us. And this book covers everything. Six kids on a tire swing, kids that are running through rocks and they're barefoot. It's very inspiring. I love this book. It's one of my favorites. And I love when we talked about it, all the different things that we talked about. And this podcast is coming out right before the beginning of a new year. So it's a good book Mm -hmm. for families to get and to add to their collection so they can have a year of whole child, whole family, nature rich, moving more days ahead. Why I thought about you this morning. Why? Why'd you think about me? Okay, well, here's the thing. (laughs) So I'm so excited to talk to you because there's a couple things in your books. You have a lot of books. So many books. (laughs) 2016 was like your big year. You came out with four books, but a lot of books. So the ones that I've read recently are Movement Matters and Move Your DNA. And so we've been trying to walk more. It's come up a lot on the podcast, walking in the morning, especially walking outside, getting out there, rucking. That's a new Mm -hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. From, from Michael Easter. Easter. Yeah. yeah. And he, you're in his book, which I yeah. thought was real cool. So we got the rucksack and I always just, it's about to change because it's going to get cold here in Michigan, but I always just slip on my flip-flops because they're easy and they're right there by the door. But then I always get like a blister and I don't think it's a callus. I get like a blister on the bottom of one of my feet and then it's a pain because then it hurts and then it affects the next day of walking. So anyway, this morning I, I was reading in your book about how like your toes are holding on to the flip-flop. So I put on a pair of shoes that are like earth runners or they're like, a, it's got a strap and then a strap in the mm-hmm. back. It's like a flat right. sandal, but it's strapped on. And anyway, I just, we just went for two miles and I have nothing. Yeah. It completely changed and my toes aren't having to grip. So anyway, I just have learned so much from you in Grow Wild and in these new books. And I'm excited to talk about these things that I've never heard anyone talk about before. So I'm wondering if we can dive in with treadmill versus overground walking. And are they the same? And if not, what are the differences or some yeah. of the main differences? Yeah, they're not the same. And so like, so I'm a biomechanist just to give people context when you're hearing. Like, I'm someone who analyzes movement, like down 
to the boring parts of movement that other people might think are boring, but end up making a difference between if you get a blister on your foot or not. So you and you know what you're talking about is like when you wear a flip-flop. So if you think of like a flip-flop and an earth runner sandal, they're both minimal, right? They mm-hmm. both is, they're just like a flat, flexible right. piece and minimal strapping that mm-hmm. attaches to your foot. But when without that back strap of your flip-flop, it easily kicks off your foot. So you have to, and if you wear any sort of slide-ons, anyone can pay attention to how you walk, like the way you are walking, what you're doing with the muscles in your lower legs and feet is you are gripping to mm-hmm. hold that shoe on the whole time you're you're walking. And that ends up pushing different bones into the ground and moving them off to the side. So those differences are subtle, but they do end up affecting our health. They end up affecting skin health, hammer toes, metatarsal deviations, um, neuromas, like all these things are affected by the seemingly mundane, barely visible habit of slightly gripping with your toes, 10,000 steps, five miles, whatever it is that you're walking in them. So those same sort of tiny differences exist between walking over ground and walking on a treadmill, right? So when you're walking over ground, there's actually a lot of different ways we can walk. The walking that's most efficient is, um, I explain it in Move Your DNA, like if you're sitting in a rowboat and you Mm -hmm. put in your oar and you push behind you, that's what makes the boat go forward, right? You have to press back in order to move the boat forward. And the same thing goes for walking. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. you're on one leg and that leg that's in the water, so to speak, the one that's connected to the ground rows back and that pushes you forward. And so walking in this way uses the muscles down the back of the legs. The wow. rowing action comes from your glutes, your hamstrings, your calves, right? Those butt muscles are, they are pushing you back. But we can actually walk in a lot of different ways. Like if you're on a treadmill, the treadmill belt is coming towards you. The treadmill belt is pushing you back. So now you are having Mm -hmm. to change the way you walk because you're not having to row anymore to push off. Because again, you're having to basically move forward on the belt. So instead of using the backside of the body, you use the front of your body. You lift your leg out in front of you and lean forward or fall forward. And so you end up using your body, interestingly enough, in a really similar way to how you would use it when you're in a chair, right? The same tensions of pulling your leg up in front of you, the same thing that might happen in a bicycle, end up showing up in your walk. So again, they're just different in this way. And then of course, it's very flat. It's very level. I was just doing another interview for REI and they were asking the same thing. Like, is going outside, like, why is going outside harder? Like, how does it move us differently? And it's the same. It moves you more. Like being outside is complex. There's temperature. You could have a slight amount of moisture or ice on the ground, right? So you end up using for the same number of steps and the time spent walking, you have to move so many more of your body parts just to deal with what's over ground. But even if everything Mm. is dry, it's feel something completely different because one, you have to push off and the other one, you have to sort of keep up. And like we use treadmills because it's easier for people, right? To not have to deal with weather. Uh, They can go in the early, early mornings or late, late evenings. There's a safety issue that people might have. And so there's reasons that they are used, but they are different. Like I wouldn't say that walking on a treadmill would meet your walking nutrients fully as walking over ground. So you do want to still make sure that you're prioritizing or looking for time spent walking outside. Wow. I think it's good to know that. Sure. And I've never heard it. Sure. I'm in my 40s. So I've never heard anyone say that there are differences and the differences make sense. And it doesn't negate the movement that you 
can get on a treadmill. Like you say, if my only choice is a treadmill, I'm choosing a treadmill. Sure. I'm going to move. Sure. But it gets you out of that spot to think, well, hey, it's motivating. Mm-hmm. It's motivating because you think, well, hey, I can get these other benefits if it's a possibility and I take this thing outside, not only for the sunlight, but also for the different types of terrains. And then you talk a lot. Okay. So then this is a thing too about how movement used to involve our brain. And you have different words that you use, but basically now it's just like a brain numbing. So much of our exercise and movement is brain numbing. So that's kind of like the stacking, right? Which is like we could work our brain and our body depending on where we move, basically. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that section, uh, section, I, I don't know if I've used the term brain numbing. I, I wonder if it's more about, I, again, it's about the complexity, right? It's the complexity right. and the engagement that's required. Like the more challenging your movement, the more details that you're dealing with um, requires your sort of awareness, your engagement, right? And so this fact that right. you are using, you're having to be very mindful. Let's just say mindful. Yes. Wh- but where- Yes. And I found the word because you did not say brain numbing. The phrase that you used is mind unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Which is it is different and and it's in move your DNA, but mind unnecessary environments, which is interesting to think about. Well, but I mean, so we so I mean, you have that's the conversation about risk and safety, right? And then mm-hmm. I think that we've had a similar. There are similar discussions going on about when you are in environments that are so safe that require like very little skill from you to negotiate. And I mean, it's interesting. Like one of the reasons like a treadmill was invented was really for a rehabilitation rehabilitation center for people who had strokes. The idea that, um, okay, these folks need to be able to move, but they need stability constantly when they're moving. All right, now we have a handle in the front. We have a handle in the side. We need to make sure that there's no, that there's nothing that comes up as you're on the walk that requires sudden reaction, right? So it's a very bland environment, but it's done on purpose. But as we partake more and more bland environments for non-therapeutic purposes, but convenient ones, right? I mean, so it's like, Mm -hmm. this isn't to say that people can't benefit from the therapies. It's just that we sort of uptook as fitness, this particular device that was meant for a particular population and for particular reasons. And then what Mm -hmm. happens is we just start losing over time, our ability to deal with things that suddenly arise underfoot. So we are, yes, we are going to a place where I'm going to do all my movement. And I wonder when I was writing this, if I'm thinking more of like a setting where I've got music on and I'm watching TV, right? Like the thing that could come up, it's such a monitored, controlled environment. I can watch TV because the laboratory that I'm moving in is so sterile. I don't have to be as mindful about what's happening with every single step where if you go, I mean, certainly you like don't even want to go out into the wilderness with headphones on, like just for your own safety, right? Like to be able to do that or to even go into city streets and crossing roads. Like I see more people sort of in environments in where they're less aware of what's going on, more of their senses. Like I think of us like from a biological sense of like we come with all these senses meant for perceiving, making decisions based on what's coming Mm -hmm. in through our senses. But we've given our senses other things to do because the scaffolding of where we're doing our movement has become so rigid with... It's boring. You know, if you're on a treadmill, it's boring. (laughs) So it just is boring. And so you have to, I think, have something. You have to have some sort of entertainment, right? Because you're... Whereas if you're walking outside, and then this is another thing you brought up in the book, which is that walking used to be a tribal thing. People walked with others. So it's completely different. Like walking on a treadmill by yourself, boring, 
Then you could take it a next level where you're walking by yourself outside, definitely a lot more interesting, but maybe still repetitive. So maybe you put on headphones and you're listening to a podcast or something like that. But then if you're walking outside with your kids or your spouse or some friends, then you're not going to have that on because you're engaging. And I thought that was Yeah, and I think the way to think about it, again, is like nutrient density is such an easier way of framing it because it can negate like things like interesting and boring is is tough because someone be like, I'm not bored on a treadmill. I love monitoring my heart rate. I love monitoring that. And I just really mean it's about like literally how much of you has to be involved in what you are doing. And so like this morning, mm. it's early in the morning right now. And I still went for my, like I, I do an early morning walk with a girlfriend of mine and we are out by like 5.45, 6 o'clock in wow. the morning. And what we realize, and so we we have walked together consistently for almost 10 years now Wow! in baby. the morning. Like that is my, my medicine. It's my therapy. It's my general fitness. It's my relationships. It's everything. But we have over the summer, you know, we get busy and it like sort of moves later and later. So like we do it at 10, we do it at two, we do it at five, like we get it done. But in the winter mm-hmm. time, we get back to our roots of it, which is we are out in the pitch black and in the cold. And that environment, I was like, we just were both like, yes, this is meeting so many more needs. Like even just going in the dark, early morning hours where you get your dose of cold, you get your dose of hyper awareness. Like you're, you know, we're we're in a very rural area, right? There's wild animals where we are. Are. And so it's this idea of I start the day with all my senses dialed way up, right? Like I actually get wow. to involve my whole, like that. that's more than just my arms and legs. That's more than my thermal regulation. That's my eyes and my ears are like tuned in far and wide and deep. Parts of me that in our modern environments barely get used. Those are your camping muscles, right? Like, and I think it's one of the reasons camping feels so nourishing is because you get these moments of that full, you get to use all of your parts. Like think of my night vision parts and how they are almost never used at all. And we have that equivalent in so many other ways. And so just man, that vitamin early morning. And it's, of course, it's a lot easier where we don't have to mess with our schedules. We're not stepping away from it. Everyone else is sleeping. It's just like free time. And just to be like, wow, even wow. the same amount, the same walk, the same person, the same distance is more physically nourishing by when we do it. You know, like mm-hmm. that's the only variable that changed. Yeah. So like, just keep in mind that things are that nuanced. Things are that nuanced when it comes yeah. to movement. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 
and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Mm -hmm. And the thought of having a mind necessary environment is just something to think about and changes things. And then you talked about, which I, this is something I never heard of before either. Well, I guess a little bit with training, but you know, I think we can get into these ruts. And so you had, you're doing amazing too, by the way, because I'm pulling stuff out from a book that's five years old (laughs) that, you know, I have read recently, but you've written a bunch of books since then. So I probably should be prefacing you more, but you know, you had a sentence in the move your DNA in our quest to make everything safe. We've also made everything easy. And that's what you were talking about earlier. That was sort of the context of this mind unnecessary environments. But in Movement Matters, or actually in Move Your DNA, talking about, like you had a chart in there and you were like, well, it would be different, like walking three miles a day would be different than walking 21 miles a week split into different amounts. So can you explain that? Well, well, right. It's again, you know, we get into like, we're so focused on exercise because there's no movement really required of us. We are trying to come up with some sort of recommended daily allowance or of movement. So like we break it down into like, okay, I need, I need to make sure I've moved this many minutes a day or this many steps a day. But what happens is movement affects you differently based on, and this is like, What's so important about the book, Move Your DNA, which was really trying to show all the variables of load, right? When it comes to movement, it's about how you're loading your body. And we don't Mm -hmm. play with the distribution of movement very well, where that's really one of the most important parts of how we adapt to movement. So the idea of doing like a three-mile mock every single day, like that's great. It meets some needs. But what's also good is a seven-mile walk one day, or instead of a three-mile walk all at once, three one-mile walks, one in the morning, one in the middle of the day, one in the night. Because by changing that up, you are changing up other sedentary habits within the course of the day. You never, it's hard to build endurance. It's hard to get better at something if you don't ever play with the volume of the movement. Like you're always sort Mm -hmm. of doing the same thing. And this was one of the reasons that I felt 
grow wild was important to add because like when I'm saying all these things and people are like going, oh my gosh, I know I now you're saying we need more movement, which needs like more time. And the time factor is so limiting for most of us. And then I was like, you don't really need more exercise time. You just need to look at the tasks that you're already doing. That one mile walk can be a family thing. It doesn't have to be your fitness right. pace. It could be the fact that you're just going to walk to the post office instead of driving. You know, like it's just a way of looking at your life. Mm, I love that idea. I love the idea even too of driving. Like, okay, so people say, well, park furthest away at the grocery store. Like take the spot that's for the best. But then you say park park somewhere else and walk the rest of the way, which is a cool idea. It's memorable. Well, and that's one of the ways that we've been able to get our family walking so much is we like walking is an adventure. It's not like you guys, we have to go for a family walk today. Okay. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like that because they do know that our whole family gels and jives better when we've all had this walking time. And it's not just the exercise time. It is, I think it's, we use walking very similar to how like people would use family dinner time. It's the connection. It's that I want to hear it from everyone. What's going on with you, your hopes and dreams. It's non-confrontational where people aren't like being forced to sit and answer questions. Everyone's looking forward. Everyone's just moving. And like, all the bubbles of energy and worry and excitedness like kind of come up and then we're just like calmer. But we really use this. Um, well, let's go, let's go to the library. Let's go into town. Let's go get a burrito, you know, or like whatever, but we're going to do it on foot. Um, oh, we don't want to walk all the way. Wow. It's like, well, let's just walk partway, you know, and then they feel like they have a win, right? Some sort of uh, control. Mm-hmm over this scenario, which is really important, especially as you get kids that are older, like more into preteens and teenager time. They're sort of genetically designed to buck against whatever the the lay of the land is. So then I'm like, oh, you only want to go partway? Great. And like they have a win and it doesn't matter if I drive a quarter mile closer. They had some control in it. And then everyone likes, it's like never once have I ever regretted taking myself for a walk and they had never feel that way either. But it's getting over wow. the hump of getting started, right? Of like, I just want to sit here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to change. I, I have my inertia that I have to deal with. And it's like, well, we're going to do the work of pivoting a little bit and starting. And mm-hmm. then and then they're out. Then they're out. When we come back home, they don't even want to come inside. They've transitioned into yeah. being and moving outside. And so that that fam- that that walk. Yeah, it's that transition that's oh, so hard. I always yeah. say, I love to be outside. I don't like to go outside. Yeah. And there's a difference mm-hmm. because the getting out there can be overwhelming. But once you're there, then like you said, a lot of times they don't want to come back in. The, the challenge is getting them back. But I hope I'm doing some podcast episodes where people are talking about things that they've changed based on listening to the podcast. Oh. And here's what I hope. I hope that people next year will say, I didn't drive all the way to the library. I drove halfway and then we mm-hmm. walked. I didn't drive all the way to the restaurant. This is fun. How fun. You know, and it would be really fun, especially like for older kids. And people are constantly asking, well, what about the teens? What about the teens? And that's a fun thing to do. It's challenging. It's something that you're accomplishing together. And so I, I love that idea. You have such great practical ideas. And that is, I think, the whole point, which is all the way through Grow Wild, you talk about stacking. It's about not multitasking, but hitting a bunch of things that you need, core needs, basically, through one experience. Thank you. Relationship, like your relationship with your friend. Yeah. 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 And you said it, I mean, it's so beautifully like that. I'm so glad that you've been able to receive what I say, which is just 
We're looking for single tasks that meet multiple needs, not trying to do multiple tasks at the same time where you can't possibly focus on on something. And and, and that's challenging because it means that you have to come up with a new task, right? Like, it, And that's mm-hmm. the hard part, that coming up with a new task is equal to getting yourself to go outside. It is to break the routine of how you're used to trying to meet your needs. It's to come up with the novel thing. And so just know that you're going to be, you know, I always try to share on social media. It's like, it was a lot of crankiness to get to this moment. And it wasn't all my children, right? It's just so much easier to go with the flow. But once you do it, you're just like, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like we did it. You're so glad you never regret it. And then you had said something that I thought was really interesting. And I always have, this is the problem. I always have pages of notes and then sometimes I have a hard time finding it. And so I'm not totally sure which book it's in, but you were talking about your son. And I think it would have been from a bit ago. You said it was in Movement Matters. You said he wasn't tired. He was bored. Mm -hmm. Talking about like, oh, we're on a flat path, but you take him on a trail or you have this exciting destination and it's new and different. It really does make a difference and it changes things up. And so I just thought that was something important to think about. You said he went screaming with joy, you know, on a, on a plain space, he's, you know, bored and moving slow, but you take him somewhere else. And we've had that, you know, you're on a path and the kids are running up the sides. Mm-hmm. They're finding ways to challenge themselves. So I thought that was a really good thing to think about in a family context. I do, and I think it is, and I think it's interesting for an, a grown up too, or just for yourself, this idea that we have a hard time separating fatigue from boredom. Like it's, it's wow. not as clear. I mean, certainly, hopefully the more you get to know yourself, you're like, I'm just tired. But I just noticed again and again, you know, we would be doing something like a really long walk with our kids. And they were just like, I mean, really long, like 12 miles. And they would just be like, Oh, we don't want to do this anymore. We're so tired. Like that's the language that they use because they don't even have the language. And then as soon as we got to some place where we take a rest, they were up and playing around. Like they wanted to climb the tree. And, And I was like, okay, this isn't fatigue. They're tired of doing the same thing again and again. Like so it's wow. it's more like boredom. And so we just started to infuse our walks with more play and game. And that's when we realized like, oh my gosh, they will walk all day. If you are playing some sort of game like Hungry Bear or we have to have a list of games, they'll walk for 10 hours. They'll walk wow. for 12 hours. And I, I did a podcast because I'm all about walking Always for my birthday, I do some sort of big walk, whether it's mm-hmm. my age in miles. Last year, I turned 46, um, I think. Isn't that weird when you start forgetting how old you are? And so mm-hmm. I walked with 46 mm-hmm. people and interviewed them about walking. And a handful of them were kids. Wow. And and they're like, what we, well, I was able to get out of interviewing these preteens and teens. So like 12, 13 was they loved being outside all day, but they didn't like the rules of walking and the fact that walking was like one foot in front of the other, just moving down the path. They want to be throwing things at each other and playing. And I was like, okay, so we need a word, just like we Mm. use hiking to differentiate walking. Mm -hmm. We need a word for what it is that they want to be doing. And that's what we came up with. I'm like, you guys are going to have to name this. Like it is basically an on foot moving forward session of play that goes on for miles and miles. And then, and they do not find that fatiguing. And so then you're like, that's for me as, as someone who's like, well, I just want to (laughs) walk. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily, Mm -hmm. but then I was like, oh, this is a trade-off in the same way. They don't want to walk. They want to play. I want to walk. I don't want to play. We're all outside on foot. This is the negotiation. The negotiation is we're all going to be outside all day on foot together. I will meet you with what your need is, which is, 
because I lead 899 sessions of Hungry Bear, you know, and, and and so just just learning and by listening, I'm finding yes, there is that distinction, and I think it's probably for grownups too. A lot of grownups to say walking is boring, and I'm like, oh well, maybe you need to stack it with something else that that meets these other needs for you. And then you'll find that you're able to go out on foot more often moving forward. We don't have to call it walking. We can call it something else. Wow. I think it would change the world if there was a word for that. And it makes my mind spin. Well, first of all, I want to know what hungry bear is. But I'm thinking like, what if we brought a ball and we tossed it back and forth? Now, you know how they're always kicking things and frisbee. We've done walking frisbee. We we do hoops and spears, which is you take. I mean, this is when they were toddlers, right? Like we mm-hmm. made going outside to do the thing. I mean, this is your whole world, right? We're like, okay, mm-hmm. I need for my mental health to be out moving forward. They need to be, but it doesn't have to be. A three-year-old doesn't necessarily, uh, twos and three-year-olds, they do actually like to go on a walk. But as they got older, like we would take a hula hoop and they would have these sticks and then I would roll the hula hoop and they would sprint after the hoop and then try to throw the spear. So like they're working on aim and and you wow. just play it for hours, like just for hours. But yes, Frisbee, like you can do anything out there. Mm-hmm. You can do anything out there. And what's Hungry Bear? Hungry Bear is a game. And I have I just, I lead other walking groups and I taught this to grownups for like a corporate wellness thing. And they loved it just as much as the little kids. You're just walking and the first person is like, I'm getting hungry. And then you count, you stop and you count to three and then you turn around and anyone that you can see, you get to eat. So it's an instant sprinting hiding game. And then you, you know, you can only, you have to recognize the person, come up by name and all clear. And then you go back to hiking. So it just, it requires these like brief moments of just scattering, sprinting, bending, jumping, hiding sessions. And then you get really competitive and the grownups play it just as much. And you can't see anybody behind you until you say all clear. And then you realize everyone was right there and yeah, magic. Wow. Katie, you do the coolest things. These are fantastic ideas and fantastic things to be aware of. And I think there is this thought about time is money. I just read this book called Do Nothing Mm -hmm. by Celeste Headley. And it was really eye-opening because she said that the more money you make, the more that you feel you can't waste your time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of times people think, well, if I go for an hour walk, I'm wasting my time. And so your idea of stacking What else can you fit in there that meets needs that you can do while you're walking so that you don't feel that 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 time is wasted or something like that? So all these great ideas for relationship building and and I love it. I love it. I'm doing them. We're walking to the library. I'm so excited. And I'm walking with my better shoes. So I don't get hammer toes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you say movement is countercultural. Oh, it is. Counterculture. Talk about that. Well, I mean... That's the thing about a sedentary culture is moving in a robust way outside of exercise, right? Like you probably come up and run up against this too, is just prioritizing movement, prioritizing moving outside when you are in the minority of people doing it, it becomes like by definition, counterculture, there's some resistance to it, right? I always think of like the culture itself has the like the greater culture and there's many subcultures, which I outline in Grow Wild, but but like when the greater culture is going on a sedentary trajectory and that sedentary culture just means that like if you look at the way the bulk of our culture operates, it requires being stationary. It requires sitting down. Mm-hmm. And even so much of our technological advances that we're making are all about things that save us movement, 
we call them convenience. We think they save us time. Like we've got that framework of like, look how much time I'm saving by doing this. And maybe it has to do with that money bit, which is like, maybe it's that it's sort of a capitalistic structure, right? Like if you save time, right. not doing this other time thing, dishes. Yeah, right. Right. Then, then you can go do these other things that you really like. But at the end of the day, because movement is an essential, you haven't saved any time at all. Because even mm. though society doesn't require us move, our physical structures do. So this yeah. is the problem that we're facing as, as we get rid of where movement naturally occurred. Like movement is such a natural thing for humans to do. It's how you get your needs met. You know, we have a very complex system of our physical movement and like the way dopamine works in our brain to be able to get us out and getting something and succeeding at it and then getting a reward and then repeat. But now the dopamine Mm -hmm. is triggered by what's on your phone, right? Like, so we've totally messed with, you don't have to physically do anything. So there's no metabolizing any of the things that Mm -hmm. you're dropping biochemically because movement is such a metabolizer, a way of like assisting uptake of so many things. And then at the same time, you have this very primitive thing in your brain that says like, go out and stimulate me to get the reward. And you can just do it with a swipe of your hand. And we, you know, we give that to very young children, right? The sort of messing with the very thing that gets us up and using our wow. physical body, right? There's a reason those, mm-hmm. there, there's a, there might not be a reason why the two of them are tied together, but they are tied together through years of needing to mm-hmm. work together. And now everything's fractured. And so setting up your life where some of the movement is necessary makes it so that you don't have to sort of like do this willpower thing all of the time. Like we want to put back in yeah. things that got us moving more naturally. Right. And like, so that's, that's why I get rid of my furniture. Right. Because if you have 15 places to sit in one room to not sit on the thing requires that you are like sort of constantly monitoring Mm. that problem. You get rid of everything. It's like having, like I said, if it's like having ice cream in your freezer and you're trying to not eat dessert at night, you have to sit there and be like, I know it's there. I'm not going to have it. And like, you have to use so much Think about how much of our brain is allotted to trying to not uptake the negative things in our environment that we've put there. Wow. So like it just, it was my son when he was like two and a half or three, you know, he always wanted to play this one game on a phone, you know, that we had got for traveling. Like this is, this is for like when you're traveling and, and he always wanted to play and he was always asking. And like, I had to use up all these no's all the time. And he was always asking. He finally wow. said, if I'm not supposed to play it, then why is it even here? If it wasn't here, I wouldn't be asking. And I was just like, wow. Yes. And I took it off and it was no longer an issue. And, and it, wisdom from a toddler. Cause he wow. was just saying like, this is very frustrating. Yeah. Like I don't understand this environment. And I was like, right. That's, that's why we get rid of chairs so that your, your sitting can be all these other ways, but you don't necessarily have to allot so much of your massive brain power to choosing not to do the thing that you already sort of made the broader choice you didn't want to do. So I'm just a big fan of modifying the environment. Yeah. And you are so practical. That's why your books are so fantastic. And there's so many of them. It's like each one has so much that you can get out of. And they're all about different things, which I think is fantastic. I never even told people about you. I just assume people know, and probably a lot of them do, but you're a best-selling author, speaker, and leader in the movement 
movement. movement. I love that. Yeah. The movement movement. Biomechanist, Katie Bowman. You're changing the, the way we move and think about our need for movement. And you have just a lot of books, Dynamic Aging, one that's coming out in May, Rethink Your Position, which I'm excited to read, but about foot pain relief and alignment and don't just sit there. So, so many fantastic books and you're practical. I think that really touches people because they don't really know like, what should I do? Or I hear your message and you don't leave people being overwhelmed because you say, look, here, here are the things you can do. Yeah. And I love that. You had this statement in uh, Move Your DNA, the paradox, this paradox that advancements to make our lives less physically taxing have taxed us physically. I know. So I, I use wow. the word paradox a lot. I notice that I'm like, oh, here's another paradox, because be, and I and I don't know, but it is. It, it's to, it's it's a paradox, and the and the other paradox that we have to deal with is sort of along those same lines, which is we both come wired in our DNA and our structures to need a tremendous amount of movement. That's all of our, like all of our parts need a tremendous amount of movement, much more than we're getting right now, much more than we can even probably consider. Like, and I'm not talking about hard sweating labor. It's just simply keeping your body physically moving all day long for the things that it needs. We come wired with that need and we come equally wired to avoid any movement that's unnecessary. And so the environment is the problem. Like there's really nothing wrong with us. We are working just as we should be. It's the environment that we are in that is creating the issue. And so that's really what is so um, paradoxical. Well, and that's what's and that's to lead us to the other thing. It's like it's taxed us physically. It's taxing us physically. And and we just had this idea that it would that all these technologies would again, we say that they buy us time. But if you need all the movement at the end of the day, they didn't buy you any time. What they did was rob you of the opportunity for movement. And now you're sitting there scratching your head going, how is it possible? We've gotten rid of all of the space for the nutrients in our lives. Like everything in our life is the non-nutritive part, sort of like what the junk food part is. And it, and it's hard. It's like, but how could this be junk food? It, it feels so good. And I'm like, that's what junk food does, right? Like it it satisfies all of your parts. Like the definition of junk food is simply that it's bringing you some sort of comfort or necessity and and that fundamental nutrient of calories, but void right. of the nutrients. It is nutrient poor. And like, that's what we mostly are steeped in now. Our days are full of the parts of lives that are really not necessary. And meanwhile, we can't meet any of our essential needs. We're not getting enough sleep. We're not getting enough movement. We're not getting enough time outside. We're not getting enough nutritious food. We're not getting enough community. But look how full our lives are. They're just full of filler. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, let's start stripping away the filler and adding back in the essential and you're slowly increasing the nutrient density of your life. And it's going to be more work because we can't get away from the work part. The work part is built in. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. 
As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp h-e-l-p.com slash 1000 hours. Yeah. You have this incredible sentence where you said our unquenchable desire to be comfortable has debilitated us. Ironic as there is nothing comfortable about being debilitated. Wow. These are fantastic books. Can you talk to us about myopia? Yes. I'm going to, I'm doing a whole podcast about that on my own show next week because I I love it. And there's a great article in The Atlantic about the rise of myopia. Myopia is just a fancy word for nearsightedness, the ability to see very close to your face, but not being able to see um, very far beyond that. And it's been rising. Mm -hmm. It's been rising globally for some time, uh, mostly in, in the Asian countries. And now it's rising at an alarming rate here. So again, Biologically, when you're looking at traits of humanity that's changing rapidly, that require some sort of intervention for function, myopia is is the new thing, and it's happening to children. And it's not it's not because it's gone. Um, you know, sometimes ailments or diseases weren't diagnosed before, and so it seems like there's a big increase in something when like new parameters for diagnostics comes up. But that's not the case in uh, terms of myopia. It's still diagnosed Mm -hmm. in the same way. There are just children are losing their ability to see far away at an earlier and earlier rate at a growing um, case rate. And so it's been in the, they've been studying it for a while because they have seen this trend coming and you've probably seen a lot of the research they're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. basically a decrease. It's it's not clear. And in my book, I I focus on the movement part, which is everything that we look at is up close. And like up close is not just the fact that you're reading or looking at a screen. It's even the fact that you're inside. So like even when you're inside, like the farthest thing you can see away is like 20 feet from your face, right? And in your Mm -hmm. way your eyeballs work is like if you I always use my arm 
with a bicep. So if you're listening, this idea of like doing a bicep curl, when you bring your arm all the way up and really deeply bend your elbow, that's what your eye muscle does. It's your ciliary muscle. It's this ring of muscle um, inside the eye. When you are all the way up in a bicep curl, that's what your eyeball does when it's looking at things that are close. The only way it can relax Mm -hmm. into the lowering the arm all the way position is by focusing on something that's far away, right? Which you need to be outside or at least at a window to be able to do. And so if you thought about your eyeballs, our eyeballs are now spending most of their time in the flexed elbow. Like I just lifted something really heavy. And then children's eyes are growing with this very tight ring of muscle as contracted as possible. And here's the thing, when you go to bed at night, the resting position for your eye is back in the short, tight position. So going to bed does not relax your eye. Basically, you spent all day in the short position and then went to bed all night in the relaxed position. The only way to relax is what you would normally get if you were an outside living culture, just looking far all the time. So the more natural state of our eyes to be outside, not looking up close most of the time throughout the day, and then in its shortened position at night. Well, we've completely gotten rid of almost all of the relaxed. We're all into the short position. And then the other element, so like that's what I focus on is that the other element is also natural light. The the natural light is coming through the eye, which you can't get inside the house. It's not making it through the windows that are blocking, you know, your UVB Mm -hmm. rays. And it's not really clear. I think it's probably going to turn out that it's not one or the other, but the way both work together. Because even your exposure to light is changing your pupil size, right? So that's another muscle that's opening and closing. So we've got this tight ring Mm -hmm. of eye, and then the eyeball gets bigger, but it's getting bigger with this vice grip. So it gets longer. And as it grows longer, it's what changes the focus and it makes it, and I'm super myopic. I am maybe the most, one of the most myopic people around. I can see seven inches in front of my face without correction, but I also spent all of my time focusing on a book, right? So that's the Yeah, you were a big reader. I remember you said your mom would say, go outside and you would be like, fine. And then you would take your book with you. Sure. That's really, you know, you had said something in the book about, you talk about nature, like nature is essential. It's not optional, you, you say. And then you talked about, you were talking, I think, about vitamin D and about how, you know, we're learning. I've learned over the past 10 years that there are this list that's so long of reasons why we should get outdoors. But then there's always going to be parts of it that I don't know or understand, or there's going to be new things that come out. And so I think this is one of them, like the myopia, like you use the phrase distance looking. Mm-hmm. Who uses that phrase? Like, I got to go do some distance looking, you know, but it's a thing. Well, we have to think of it as exercise now, right? Like we can, you can wrap your head around, oh, there's another exercise I need to do. Okay. I'll go do my distance looking reps. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So just, you know, this concept that there are things that we don't really even know or understand yet and maybe never will. So we, we have to do it. We have to get out there and know that there's all of these things going on in tandem, in chorus, in symphony that are good for us. And it's not optional. We're running out of time. I have so many topics here. Okay. Can you pick between sleeping pillowless, ditching your bra, footwear, or you're passionate about the pelvis? Oh my gosh. Which like, that's like, should we which go? Which child is your favorite? I mean, like you're asking me unanswerable. I can give you, I can give you one minute on each one. Yeah, do it. Right. Do it. I would love right. that. So what was the first one that you said? Pillowless. You sleep without I a pillow. I do sleep without a pillow. So again, it's, it's just, um, it was one of those things where, you know, this is another issued sort of shape that we get as 
we hand it down to our kids. I'm like, this is, you know, culturally, we, we put something underneath our head. And I just was dealing with a lot of neck pain and headaches. And then the stretches that I was given physical therapy to do. And I was like, well, basically what I do every night undoes these stretching things. Like I'm going to stop, I'm going to make it so that I'm stretching more often throughout the day and over a long period of time, like 18 months. And this will be in the rethink your position book. I'm talking about this phenomenon of, okay. I slowly, yeah, yes, I slowly change the height of my pillow to slowly introduce more movement back into my head and neck. Because again, remember that humans, like the way that we sleep right now is not the way that we've slept throughout a human timeline. This is something, again, even we're even sort of outliers in modern times of people who sleep in giant cushion wow. beds on giant fluffy pillows. And so there was um, mm -hmm. you know, some cool articles that came out about looking at more yeah. traditional sleeping patterns and to see like, oh, it's sort of like if you look at your animal, like your dog, your dog will sleep in different positions or your cat will sleep in different positions. And it's part of what keeps us flexible. When you first start, it is sort of disruptive of sleep because you're so tight and you're like, I can't get a good rest. I'm so uncomfortable, which is why camping doesn't feel good to sleep on the ground so rarely or, you know, visiting someone who has like a bad mattress and you're like, oh, my back is wrecked. So you have to become more make yourself more physically resilient so that you can fold into different mm -hmm. positions and be okay with it. So um, that's my wow. two minutes on that. Okay. I can't wait to read the new book. All right. Bras and underwear. Okay. So for, we'll stick with bras. So in Move Your DNA, you know, breast cancer is obviously an issue and they've, they don't, they haven't, it doesn't seem that bras have to do with breast cancer per se, but there is an element of movement that is also involved. And I was just looking, there's this cool um, article in uh, Nature, research article in Nature, where they gave mice breast cancer tumors and then stretched their arms and they could get the tumors to reduce through that movement. So there's there's a relationship wow. in mechanotransduction there. And I, I brought that wow. up in Move Your DNA as well. So certainly your breasts need movement. And that also includes the chest muscles underneath, you know, the, the tissue, like I, we don't take very good care. I don't think of our breasts in terms of breast health. We don't really think of them as needing to be taken out and moved around. I'm larger breasted. So right. It'd be more natural for me to be more heavily supported throughout my life. So the idea of letting my own tissues feel the weight and do that support has been um, part of just trying to figure out what are the natural movements of these parts. And there's a whole breast show that I've done. If someone's interested, they can go listen to me talk okay. about that for a couple of hours. And then also there's the fact of sometimes when it comes to just breasts and things like running, you might need to add more support for more vigorous bouts if you haven't been doing it because it can they can mess with your gait pattern depending on how heavy they are right. and moving around. So it's this idea of just thinking of our breasts as moving entities like your feet in flip-flops and like this is what these are environments mm -hmm. that we just sort of take for granted. They affect the movement yeah. of the area and could we be distributing movement in that area a little bit more effectively. Wow. And the, and the interesting about the stretching, because you have so much information about swinging and hanging right. and all of those things would be stretching. We don't do that. Oh. And your grip strength. We type on a computer. So like imagine your breast, think about your breast as being part of why you would want to start moving your arms and shoulders more, you know, because I don't wow. think we think about shoulder health as much as we think about breast health. Like I certainly am aware right. of of like breast health. And it's not clear what to do, but sort of like in the same way, I, you know, you're talking about myopia and um, Andrew Huberman had such a great, um, who's a 
neuroscientist, I think, you know, he had a great sentence about myopia. He says, it's not clear if it's natural light or distance looking, but either way, the solution is pretty clear of what to do. And so it's the same thing. Like, I don't know really what's going to keep my breast as healthy as possible, but I know that my shoulders and my breast all depend on this movement. So moving it is not something I have to figure out whether or not I should, I'm not going to wait for research to come in to see if this is the thing. I already know it's beneficial. Like the risk is really low. So just do it. Right. Right. Katie, I just adore talking with you. We didn't hit squatting. I bet you could talk for hours about squatting. We should just do it. And the pelvis. And maybe we'd have a whole thing about squatting to go to the bathroom. But you had a really interesting information in your book that even starting in utero, the way that we're built is meant to squat with our joints and it comes so naturally to children and we're losing it. Squatting facets. So you're talking about, yeah, so like that's been a big thing is like we're a not squatting culture. So Mm -hmm. you have, there are parts in your bones that make it easier for things to fold up. And Mm -hmm. so cultures that don't squat, like kids have them, they're coming with them, but by not using them, you, you lose those grooves over time and you sort of lose that ability over time. So yes, you are made for squatting but you know culture does impact our biology and so that was another sort of furniture free reason is just to allow that squat i mean you can still squat pretty close and some people can squat all the way and you can add different support like squat all squatting is not lost i always think it's such a good thing for your knees and your hips and your low back and your pelvis and your pelvic floor Um, and then of course just what i love my favorite essay in movement matters is about like what squatting affords you perspective change getting mm-hmm. down lower and so we can all have some yeah. version of I, I say that move your dna and movement matters is the parents of grow wild if those books had a baby yeah. grow wild like that's the little yeah. family of just understanding movements an important like mm-hmm. movements an important environment and there's all these other things about natural movement to be mm-hmm. thinking about and like the way we're sort of built to move and then then there's the solution book of like, how do you make it yeah. joyful and rich and stack it so that it's practical? Yeah, I love that. And with the squatting, you talked about how in other cultures, people cook, they clean, they play, they visit, they explore in a squat. You say it's a, it's not a destination, it's a journey. And you had all of these pictures of squats that you could do where you're holding on to something or how do you sort of get to the spot if you can't do it at all? Yeah. What's the progression there? And I find that the place it happens the most is in the garden. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of squatting going on in the garden. And maybe that's why people who garden, they tend to live longer. And there's a lot of health benefits, I think, for I don't know if that's true. I just said that. I think I've heard it before. <laughs> there, there are help, there are many benefits to it. And again, it's just really hard to tease out why exactly is it? Is it because you're outside? Right. Is it because you've got your hand? Is it phytochemicals from the plants? Yeah. Is it more sunshine? Is it more autonomy? Is it better food? Like Stress, less stress. The thing is, again, yeah. it's really hard to parse the detail. And, and then when I ask, it's like, what detail are you looking for to convince you that you like, what research do you need to prove wow. that you need to go outside and move around? Like, I think yeah. we're at this point of going, I feel paralyzed unless there's some sort of thing, but there's sheets and sheets and sheets of research of what we do that we're not doing anyway. So just pick right. something and That's do right. it. Well, Katie, thank you. This has been such a thrill. And like I said, you literally changed my life this morning because I came back from my walk and I do not have a blister under my foot. And so you talk about footwear. I mean, and so you're on your website, nutritiousmovement.com, where you have so much information, movement for everybody, build your exercise program, move more without exercise. There's so much there. And then online, you constantly are showing movements like standing in the kitchen, but putting something under your foot. All of these things that you can do within your daily life that 
that are practical, that are exciting, that are joy-filled, that really enhance so many parts. So we talked today about Movement Matters and Move Your DNA. These are just one of a whole stack of books, Grow Wild, heading into the new year. This is a book that your family would use for decades to come. It'd be a great gift for grandchildren, great gift for a teacher, I think, great gift for someone in your nature group. Your whole nature club could do it, right? Do it as a book study and for your own children. Put it, I mean, even just this one page. Like, look at this. This is a page about climbing. And I mean, all of these pictures is kids outdoors. There's kids indoors, <laughs> climbing up the walls, climbing over fences, hanging on things. So a fantastic book to add to your collection. And then in May, rethink your position. I'm so excited about it. Thank you. Oh, Katie, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I always love seeing you. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jenny. I appreciate it. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayeni, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.